You're listening to a sermon from Metro North Church in Goose Creek, South Carolina. If you'd like to connect with us, then visit us online at metronorthchurch.com. Well, good morning. My name is Howard, and I'm one of the leaders here. And if I haven't met you, I hope to meet you after the worship service. We're in a series of messages right now talking about joy. The very thing that we want, not happiness that can just sort of be fleeting, but that deeper anchored joy in Christ. And it's taking us back, some of you who were here years ago at the beginning of the church, there was a motto that our church had, and it was enjoying life with God and others. And if you're new, you've been swept into that joy. And what we're doing in this series is we're going to stop doing something. And some of you just came to church today to be reminded that it's okay to stop doing something. Stop living for self-manufactured joy. And instead, let's live from joy that we get from Jesus. Would you stand out of honor for God's Word as we read what James said about joy and trials? James chapter 1, we're going to look at the first four verses James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Would you pray with me? Father, as I teach this word, I can only tap on the outside of hearts of those who hear, but you can unlock hearts today. You can move inside of hearts that are lacking joy with your Holy Spirit. You can produce fruit. You can generate this. Father, would you give understanding and joy by sending your Spirit and act? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. Joy often depends on your point of view, your frame of reference. I love, love, love this little picture. Take a look here at the frame of reference. You got a guy on an island, and look at, he's so joyful, he says, yes, there's a boat coming. But look at the other guy's frame of reference, who's been stuck out on the boat, He's just as excited because he just found land. Often our joy, our emotions, have everything to do with our frame of reference. If you want to follow along today from the book of James, we simply look at what God says. In your bulletin, there's some message notes, and the title that we're going to have from James is Reframe. Reframe. Some of you are absolutely not in the middle of a trial. You're so happy right now. Great. This is going to get you ready for Monday. Many of you, though, are sadly and difficult. You're, in a, you're just tired. You say, Howard, you want to know my life in trials? It is one big, slow, continuous, slow-motion train wreck of trial. God brought us here today for good news, and here's the train of thought. Let's move off of this frame of reference where my life is just a wreck. Let's move off of that train track. Let's go with Scripture and move on to this train track. We're going to see three things. 
reframe, reason. God's going to reason with us. We need to use our minds today and radiate. Reframe, reason, and radiate. Number one, let's reframe with joy. When we encounter the unexpected trials of life, oh, they're coming. Now, a question hangs in the air. James wrote this book. Who's that guy? Who was James, and does he have the credibility to command joy? He doesn't suggest it here. The first command in this letter is count it all joy. It's not an option. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Look at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Some of you have been Christians and you know who this man is. James was the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up? And as you're brushing your teeth, Jesus is right there next to you saying, hey, can you move over? I got to spit. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Now, what you find in the Gospels is James did not believe Jesus was the king. You can read about James and his skepticism in John chapter 7. In fact, his whole family thought he was crazy. His framing of reality, James thought was a bunch of just absolute nonsense. If you're not a Christian, or maybe you have to be a Christian for some reason, but you don't really believe it, James was given the space by his own brother to slowly reframe reality. When Jesus died and resurrected, oh, the brother said something's up. This, this is not a crazy brother. This is the Son of God. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, is not going to tell us how to feel. Thank God he doesn't just say, be joyful. He's going to tell you how to frame your emotions. James, in the Greek, it doesn't say servant. He's very humbled by this new framing of reality. The Greek says this, James of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant. He's a servant. Servant, fully subject to the authority and will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you a spectator in your Christian life, watching the Christian story? Or are you a servant? You know, today Carter did something new with us. He had us stand for three songs of praise. And he was a little nervous about that. But we all acted as servants. We were at the will of his direction. Now, it may have affected you. Maybe you were older and in pain and you thought, when is this going to end? Maybe others of you said, you know what? It was the third song, standing in the presence of God. But all of us got to practice not being spectators, not watching our worship director said, in the presence of the living God, we are going to stand and praise God. And we, we all bent our wills to serve the direction of our leader, James, servant. Now, there is a surprise about this man, James, probably for most of you. Did you know that his Hebrew name was Jacob? If you met him, Jesus would have said, hey, Jacob. Jacob, who was he? He was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And did you notice in the first verse, he's writing to the 12 tribes? Of course. 
Jacob, or James, is writing to the 12 tribes that even though historically, way back in 722 B.C., those 12 tribes of the people of God had ceased to function as a geopolitical group of people. But now Christ had come. How many disciples did Jesus choose? Twelve. That was not coincidental. He is setting up the people of God again, and James, his brother, is writing to the people of God. The people of God. Christians were considered the Israel of God. Does this guy, James, does Jacob understand trials? He does, because he's writing to Christians that were dispersed. But he stays put. James stays put in Jerusalem. He stayed put. If you want to make a real impact for the kingdom, you stay put. And I just want to give a shout out to some of you here at Metro North Church who have stayed over the years. I look around at some of you in this audience who have stayed through the thick and through the thin. We often think we get joy when we leave what's kind of hard and we'll find it somewhere else. But it's those of you that have stayed. I'll bet 10 years ago if you said, well, we got a new roof on this building to minister for the kingdom, you'd say, where are we going to get the money? But you stayed. You stayed for that goofy picture up there, your pastors. You stayed. James can speak to us about trial because he stayed. Our flesh revolts against feeling awkward and uncomfortable in community. And I want to call out those of you that have stayed. If you know Christians that didn't move away, God will disperse us. But if you know Christian members of this church kind of got hurt, they experienced a trial, and they have not stayed, you got to go look for them. You got to go say, what's going on? God's got a breakthrough. Well, I had a little fight with somebody. I don't like exactly what the church is doing. No. If you're James, if you have stayed put, you have got to communicate to the people that wander away. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe God needs to meet them. But those of you that have stayed, thank you. Thank you for staying. Should we listen to James? Yes, we should. James, some of you say, not so fast, Howard. How do you know that this James is the brother of Jesus? Well, there's a clue. In the New Testament, nobody greets in their letter with the word joy. Paul and Peter, they always say hi. James, in Acts 15, he's the leader of the church of Jerusalem, writes a letter. And he starts it out with a unique word not used by any of the Greeks, joy. And when he writes this letter, we know it's the same guy, the brother of Jesus in Acts 15, because he uses the same unusual word. Look at it in Greek. This is the word he uses, Cairo. He basically says greetings, but he's really saying joy. He's so overwhelmed with joy. But if we actually look in James uh, chapter 1, verse 2, when he says, count it all joy, look at the word here. Go to the, go to the next uh, slide. Count it all joy. It's actually the same Greek word. This guy, James, who met Jesus, very skeptical, then saw him rise again, this guy is overwhelmed with joy. And he says, count it all joy when you meet trials. Those of you that are visiting, Metro North, we're a very practical people. I love the fact that James said, it's not if you meet a trial. Count it all joy when you meet a trial. Very practical. 
Very honest. We do not need to pretend that life with Jesus is problem-free. Now, the first command in his letter is not a suggestion. It's not an option for navigating difficult situations. What does it mean? Count it all joy. What does it mean? It means you consider your crisis from a totally different angle. It means you fix your focus not on your feeling. Oh, those are going to be difficult. But on an act of faith. I love this optic effect. Take a look at this clock in this. What I want you to look at, you're all probably looking at different points of the triangle. Focus on one of the points. What time do you think it is? It's probably the time of the point of your triangle. What's fascinating about us as humans is when we lock onto a certain angle, we start to define reality by that angle. James is saying you are going to hit a trial. You've got to fix your eyes on something. Take a look at this second picture. It's a bunch of black, black spots, but focus. Count. Frame of reference. Only look at the black. Now, some of you are saying, I think that's a Dalmatian. Others of you are going, that's a horse. Others of you are seeing weird stuff. We don't want to talk about it. I don't know what you're seeing, but... Most of you can see the Dalmatian, can't you? Because you're fixing your eyes. We are reframing. And one more image. Because it's a command, I think this idea is more like a thermostat. We all have this. Yours probably kicked on because it got cold. A thermometer measures the temperature. Oh, I'm going through a rough spot. I don't have joy. A thermostat influences the environment. You are commanded, when you hit a a tough spot this week, to be a thermostat, and to influence your reality with the emotion of joy. It is a command. It is to regulate your life. You reframe to regulate your emotions, to influence your circumstances. That's going to be very different for some of you because you let the scenery and the circumstances of your life impact and influence you. No more, says James. Stop the spiritual pouting. Stop the pity parties. I get stuck in those. I get hurt. I go, oh, man, life is, I didn't deserve that. Oh, I got to look at a different point here. When you're saying to yourself, I shouldn't have to suffer. I don't deserve this difficulty. I won't accept it. James says, wait a minute, I'm the bro of Jesus. Count it all joy. Joyful people face and reframe their problems. They reframe it, as James says, with all joy, with full joy. In the Greek, it's this extended, elevated state of extreme pleasure. It's not a shot of dopamine. It's a continuous shot of spiritual dopamine. Oh, my. Well, James, exactly what kind of problems are we dealing with here? James chapter 1, verse 2. Let's slow down and read it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Meet. It is such a cool word. It means you're blindsided. It's, it means you are struck by surprise from an unexpected direction. He doesn't just say, get joyful when life is hard and you knew it was coming. No, he's saying when you get smacked this week with something that was not part of your Google Calendar, that is when you need to go ahead and consider it joy. They would use it in this culture of falling into a hole you didn't see. Boy, I'll tell you, when I moved here, everybody said, watch out for that Ashley Frustrate Road. If you're visiting, you know, we have a place called Ashley. You've been there, haven't you? 545. I was hanging out with my friend Kevin back there, deep 
in, in, the, uh, in the heart of North Charleston, coming home to Goose Creek, just minding my own business. And I get to that part where you get on the 26th, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is crazy. It was dark, everybody's honking, and I'm thinking, somebody's going to get, bam! Right when I was thinking it, I get rear-ended. Guy gets out of his truck, he's freaking out, he's a young guy, and I roll down my window, and he's like, I'm just trying to get home. And I'm like, hey man, is my bumper still on the car? He's like, yeah. I go, we're cool, man, give me some skin. I did not plan that. Now, it's, if I'm going to be honest, it's not exactly as, as good as this. I kind of knew it was coming. It was actually frustrate. What if I didn't know it at all? That's what the word meet means. This is where you got to have the joy. When you meet that experience, I, I know it's Veterans Day, and I found this German ship. This is how you would use it in the Greek also. When a ship hits something it didn't see, it is meeting a problem. The Greeks used it when a ship smacked something it did not see. It's unexpected. It's unwelcome. Do you ever have those kind of trials? Unexpected, unwanted, unwelcome. It's used by Jesus in a story. Luke chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says this. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he met some robbers. He fell among the robbers. What was the effect for that poor guy? They stripped him. They beat him. They departed. He was half dead. James, the brother of Jesus, would have heard that story over and over. In fact, he might have been a 10-year-old, and Jesus is like, hey, I want to tell you a story. I've been thinking about just God when you fall into that mess you did not plan, this is the type of trial we're talking about. And James says, I'm not going to water this down, various trials. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money. Teacher said, bring crayons to school. Well, my mom bought me one of those nice little crayon boxes, but it was one of those little crayon boxes. Because when I got to school, one of my friends brought the big crayon box. You know, the kind with the theater seating. Every single color known to man. And I'm just like, I just got the basics here. James says, you're going to get the theater seating trials this week. Not one or two. Count it all joy when I get that kind of trial. Yes. What are your trials? Maybe a friend who decides to distance themselves from you. Maybe a financial surprise. For my friends who adopted two boys from Peru, whose mother happened to have tuberculosis, they're surprised they shared with me recently, and I asked their permission to share it with you, went like this. They had the sudden sickness of one of these sons. I have a picture of my friends here. Our family has been close to Ernesto and Awara. Some of you remember that when I was ordained to be your pastor, he preached the sermon. These two, these two kids, Christian and Benjamin, were adopted. And you know, a couple of months ago, Ernesto, with adopted children, was fired from his job. Unexpected. In fact, the people that hired him said, we're going to have you for a long time. Fired from his job. Well, it got worse. Recently, Christian, the younger boy, was rushed to the emergency department for difficulty breathing. They immediately put a chest tube in this little boy's chest to save his life, and the doctor walked out and said, it's, not, it's, it's worse than you think. He has full-blown contagious tuberculosis. 
They tested his brother Benjamin. He too has contagious tuberculosis. Unexpected, but they have to reframe. This is what James commands. They gave me permission to read this to you today. Hopefully it will encourage you. In fact, in her email, she says, if it will bring them joy, read my letter. Here's what she and Ernesto said. Well, when the boys leave their bedrooms, they must wear face masks. They eat off of disposable plates. They're not even allowed out in public without face masks. They're exhausted. They're nauseous. They're losing weight. They're bored. They're lonely. It's been a month of these kind of restrictions for Christian, three weeks for Benjamin so far. The treatment protocol is six to nine months. Different antibiotics, and they're tearing up the boys' guts and their immune system. Caring for them as well as our elderly parents whose needs are consuming, it's become a full-time job for Ernesto and me. We had wrestled with living so far away from our family as our parents aged, but the Lord did us a favor. Notice the reframing there. The Lord did us a favor. He's moved us now back to Atlanta with the parents, and he's made it so obvious, because we literally have no other options, that we need to be here for now. We're going to come back to this letter later, but let's admit that James, the brother of Jesus, gives us a great starting point. We have to reframe, celebrate the next setback, delight in the next disappointment. Why, you say... The Holy Spirit loves us enough to motivate us because I don't want to get rear-ended on Ashley frustrate again this week. I really don't. Number two, reframe with joy because you are given the reason why. We sometimes can go another minute, another step if we get the reason. Oh, thank you, Lord, for giving it to us. Look at verse three. For you know, there's the reason, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For, whenever you see that in any scripture, it's going to give you a reason. They're all over the Bible. For, you know that the testing of your faith, it's going to trigger a chain reaction of deep transformation. What is it? Test, steadfastness, perfection. Oh, I love that. Completion. Why don't we just get to jump immediately from the test to the finish line of faith? If we did that, we would end up worshiping the experience and not the God who is rescuing us and growing us. The trial is never the ultimate goal. When a pregnant woman gets the first contraction, trial... The initial pain is going to lead to quite the payoff, birth. The trial is just the on-ramp to the path of deep change. Don't you want to increase your spiritual strength and stability to stand firm? Because you know you're going to get by storm this week. Well, tests prepare you to endure, and they help you to mature. Okay, Howard, I'm getting motivated. What lights the fuse? It's the test. It's the test that lights the fuse. The test. We don't like those. I did not like math growing up. This is not my test, but it's what it would have looked like when I took most of them. You got a test. Two plus two is 22, right? And 13 plus two, 130. We take tests and the teachers are not mean. Okay, some of you are teachers. I know we think teachers, why do you do this to us? Why does God test us? 
so we can pass, not so we can pass out. A test measures your preparedness for your God-assigned responsibilities. Let me say that again because some of you do not like these. A test, which is going to trigger this incredible growth, measures your preparedness for your God-assigned responsibilities. The test is going to trigger a chance to, a chance to grow. Well, grow what, Howard? Grow steadfastness. We don't ever use that word. We use this word, endurance. I got to go longer. I got to persevere. You see, patience is passive. He doesn't use that. He uses persevere. You got to get tested because you got to go the long haul. You have to have a positive commitment. He wants to give you the capacity to continue. And when you refuse to reframe a trial with joy, you're going to stop growing. Many of you suffer from what's called Peter Pan syndrome. You know this guy? He's the guy who's the boy who never grew up. That is not God's plan when he, when he brought you into his family. You will only grow to the level of the pain you are willing to face and endure. Why am I not growing as a leader? Why am I not growing as a husband? Why am I not growing as a grandparent? Why am I not grow? You will only grow to the level of the pain that you are willing to endure. We got to grow up. God is paying you quite the compliment of dignity and wait as you image him to respond and take some responsibility. If you have a spouse, you're like hitting him in the side. Yeah, take some responsibility. You got kids, take some responsibility. Don't we all want to just say, grow up, please? Some of you have so little joy because you refuse to grow up. Many of us count it a joy to escape rather than endure. More online shopping. Spend an hour watching stupid humor on YouTube. We are like Inky, this octopus, which many of you noticed escaped from an aquarium in Australia. Here's what's crazy. This thing is massive and it escaped through the size of a hole that was the size of a quarter. Can you imagine that? A 600-pound octopus can get through a little size of a quarter. So many of us don't like where we are. We don't want to be contained in that trial. We don't want to grow up and we will do anything to ooze out across the floor. And by the way, Inky's okay. Got through a drain pipe, went right back to the ocean. Remember the reason, God gives us a reason when you're going to hit this trial. You won't know it's coming. The reason for the test is the production of endurance, not escape. Some of you just simply need to choose this week in a difficult relationship not to escape it. A job, why won't they give me the next level in my job? A, a marriage, this marriage is so done. Wait a minute. You're right at that point. You're right at the point of endurance. You're right at that point of joy. You and I must not dodge the difficult stuff. Some of you open way too many beers. Some of you click on films to numb the pain, and it's got to stop or you will not grow. 
It's lethal. You'll settle when you numb yourself. You'll become stunted, indifferent, and worse, unfeeling and unchanged. You'll never experience the joy of God rescuing you. When, when do you prefer escape? A conflict with a person? Feeling of boredom or inadequacy? When you get disrespected, unloved? You cannot panic at this point, and please don't pout like I do. It's time to grow up. It's time to persevere. Joy only grows deepest in the soil of disappointment. It says if you do this, you're going to lack nothing. Isn't that our greatest fear? I escape because I go, if I don't escape, I'm not going to get. He says don't escape because if you stay in this, you will lack nothing. In the losses, the greater goal of your Savior is that you'll have completion in him. Reason with me. Reason with me. This is what James is saying. Most of you grew up and you were forced to read a Jules Verne book, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Most of you never saw this book. It's, it's, just, it's an amazing book. It's called The Mysterious Island. Reason with me as we think about this story. Here are these guys. Um, they are Civil War prisoners, and they want to escape. They grab money. They grab a dog. I don't know why. They jump on this hot air balloon, and they take off like all of us do in our week. I don't want to be in my trial. They take off and they're floating into the ocean and it dawns on them after a day or two when this hot air balloon is going lower and lower and they're going to die, we need to get rid of some stuff. We need to, we need to, we need to go ahead and, and minimize our stuff. They're throwing overboard their pocket knives. They're throwing overboard everything and guess what? It gets lower and lower. They look down and they say, all we've got left is 2000 dollars in gold but if we don't throw out the gold we're going to be dead now it was a little silly earlier when we had the typo on money but i wonder metro north church if we are so stuck because we are unwilling to get our money out to those that need it rather than ourselves sacrificial love they throw two thousand dollars of gold overboard and they keep going down they decide, we've got to get rid of the willow basket. They cut off the willow. And some of you are going, did they throw the dog overboard? No, still got the dog. They cut off the willow basket, and they're literally dangling on ropes, and they see in the distance land. See, they lost everything to have a relationship with land. Some of us here are not growing because we are not willing to remove all that will not bring us joy. I'm going to go back to that letter from my friends. Reframe. Reason. Ernesto and I have prayed so much that the Lord would use any means short of death to draw Christian to himself. And we had thought that he had already suffered the loss of more than we could comprehend. His birth parents, his Peruvian community, his country, his language, his climate, his foods, the sounds, the smells. Ernesto and I had hoped that we would be able, as parents, to give the boys stability of place after their early years. But in the past two years, they've lost their housing. They've lost a new community of friends. They've lost their church twice. Will you pray with us that the Lord would use these losses to strengthen Benjamin's young 
faith. That's a very important phrase she just said. These boys are sitting quarantined with tuberculosis, and this mother is saying, count it all joy. Because if one of these boys who does not want the Lord gets strengthened in their faith, count it all joy. Pray that he would continue to woo and draw Christian to himself. The boys have suffered the loss of so many things around which we build our lives, and now even their health has been lost, it's in all these losses that we pray will be used for the good of God and His glory. Oh, that's a different perspective. Lastly, it's so short, but it's so important. Reframe, reason, radiate. That was a weird word in verse 1. God and the Lord Jesus Christ to these 12 tribes, which are the people of God, in the dispersion. That was a word you would use when a farmer grabbed seed and just chucked it out. Like crazy, happy, we're going to get life. That is what Jesus Christ did with the church. Gathering together in small groups, hearing about his kingdom, and they were dispersed. They radiated out. Don't miss what God and the Lord Jesus Christ are up to. They are scattering Christians. We, Metro North Church, are a church on the move. We are distributed all over Berkeley County. You live in different neighborhoods. You, you work in different places. You are scattered, and you're each given a deep and worthy assignment. And are you going to have trials this week? Oh, yeah. Yes, you are. Jesus scatters us. You say, Howard, I could see how his brother James gets it. He stayed in Jerusalem through the thick and thin, but Jesus, I mean, he's God. Does Jesus, as he scatters us, get it when we hit a hard trial? Matthew 27, 30, for me, is one of the most emotional verses in Scripture. I go to it when I lose my way to remember what Christ experienced for me. Let me read it to you. Jesus gets betrayed by his friends. He's now in front of all these Romans who are getting ready to put him on a cross, and it says this, after they had spit on him. Our Savior is sitting there, innocent because of our sin, willing to endure the cross. Can you imagine a Roman soldier walking by and spitting in his face? He's just standing there, unexpected. Not only do they spit in our Savior's face, they took a stick and they kept hitting him on the head with it. If I stood here and one of you walked up with a stick and hit me in the head, it would really get me mad. <laughs> but our Savior stood there. Maybe he was looking to the left just saying, Father, I'm doing this for those that I love. And a guy just whacks him on the head. Unexpected. That's not what Matthew says. It says, they took the stick and they kept hitting him on the head. You're going to get hit this week with something, and you're going to go, that's not going to repeat itself. And if it happens to you again, you're going to say, this is not right. Our Savior was hit upon the head over and over and then put on a cross. Hebrews 12, 2 says, we've got to look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, same word James used, he endured the cross. 
Jesus made you his joy so that you can find your joy in him. I want to end on a bit of a lighter note. C.S. Lewis was a writer who lost his wife. Terrible trials. But he had a character in one of his books called Reepicheep. Here's a picture of him. Reepicheep was like all of us, a little mouse trying to take on the world with the trials. But Reepicheep would say something at the end of his life with such resolve because there's a Christ figure named Aslan that he knew was full of joy and he wanted to get to his country. Let me end with these amazing words of this little Reepicheep who served Aslan, who faced and reframed trials with bravery. Reepicheep says this, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. That's a ship. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle, but when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I've not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. How can a little mouse have such resolve because he refrained. Will you this week? Will you refrain when you meet trouble and radiate out this message of Christ where God has distributed you? Would you pray with me? Father, I can't even understand a thimbleful of the pain in this room right now because of the trials and yet your son not only knows the pain, he knows it personally. And Father, we thank you for James. We know he was skeptical, but he became a believer that there is a new kingdom and that his brother is the king of kings. And Lord, this first command in this, in this letter is not a suggestion, and we're going to be tempted to treat it like that. Father, I pray that those people that have left Metro North Church because it got difficult would be convicted by your spirit and come back and work through whatever they were going through. I pray for people right now that might be thinking, I'm leaving because there's a trial. I pray for people right now that are so joyful in the church that you would prepare them with this message for a conflict they're going to have in three months at work or with their spouse or with somebody at this church. Lord, would you make us a people that when we meet trial, we overflow with joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.